Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. My kids often accuse me of not crying enough. I don't know if you get accused of things, but for me, my kids think I have a heart of stone. But I don't know, this year I've been overwhelmed by human pain and suffering. Now, it's a nice, bright, sunny morning. You didn't think you were maybe going to get a theology of suffering today. But that's the message that God has really put on my heart. And maybe in this last year, I visited two genocide memorial sites, one in Dachau in Germany and, and Srebrenica in Bosnia. Also with my work, I was interviewing hostages that were held by ISIS for a number of years. And, you know, maybe in my work, working in war and conflict, I'm confronted by pain and suffering. But all of us are. We just turn on the news, we look at what's going on. In Ukraine, we see refugees, we see the world on fire. And I think it, it makes us ask, where is God in this? How do we reconcile God's love and human suffering? It's not just global issues, but it's also individual, family and friends. What happens when we lose, lose loved ones? What happens, how do we approach illness, accidents, financial bankruptcy? disappointment in life? Where is God in a world that is painful? How do we trust God when we don't really know those circumstances? We can't see God always at work. And today I want to focus and I think God is bringing us back to an amazing story. It's the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11 and it's a story of hope amidst pain and suffering, walking with God in pain and suffering. Now Lazarus became a very famous Bible character, having been raised from the dead. If you're raised from the dead, you will have a certain infamy. Uh, but what's interesting about Lazarus, he's venerated by the Orthodox Church. 17th of October is a Lazarus feast day. I don't know if many of you celebrate it. But Lazarus also, he came from Bethany, but they changed the name of his village. It still exists today, two kilometers overlooking Jerusalem. There is a wall. Uh, that sort of blocks out the place, but it's called Elazaria. Now, Lazarus in Hebrew is called Elazar. So they changed the name of his village to his name. But yet, whenever I was reading through, what's remarkable about Lazarus? Lazarus doesn't say a word in the Bible. I mean, he's not mute. I'm sure he's, he said lots of words, but not one word is recorded about Lazarus in the Bible. In fact, his sisters, the focus is on Mary and Martha, but Lazarus says nothing. Now you think of the disciples that are writing the Gospels, surely you'd want to speak to someone that was raised from the dead. Lazarus, what, what was it like? You were dead, you've come back to life. Lazarus says absolutely nothing. I mean, if Lazarus was around today in evangelical times, he would have his own podcast, he'd have a Zonderman book series. He would be on God TV, the Lazarus Arise are. But no, no, Lazarus says absolutely nothing. I think that's really fascinating because it brings us to those that have his sisters and the pain that they went through, particularly in Mary and Martha. We see real powerful stories of Mary and Martha, like three vignettes of Mary waiting at Jesus' feet, learning at Jesus' feet, 
then the next time we see her, Mary is weeping at Jesus' feet because of Lazarus. And finally, the, cha- the next chapter, Mary is worshipping at Jesus' feet. I think there's an amazing pathway to how we deal with suffering, that sometimes it's waiting, often it's weeping, but eventually it should lead to worship. And that's where I want to guide us today. So we're going to be picking up on some points that God's love does not mean that we will not go through pain and suffering. God's timing is often out of sync with our expectations. But Jesus meets us at our place of need and he weeps with us. And our suffering ultimately can bring an opportunity for the manifestation of God's glory. I mean, this is the motto of this church. What is pain and suffering about? I think sometimes it's hard to deal with, but it is to see the glory of God. And that's what we'll find in the story of Lazarus. I must admit, this is a a sermon I didn't really want to preach. Often, whenever I'm invited to preach, God sort of, you can preach a message and then God hits you over the head with it. So I wanted to avoid a message on pain and suffering. But I really feel today there are some people that are going through difficult times, struggling with things, crying out to God, and they don't see breakthrough. And God wants to take us back and say, look, I'm the God of of resurrection and life. So Chloe is coming to read for us, because I'm not great at reading, and this is the longest passage that's probably been read at a church for a while. So we're going to hear John chapter 11, because I think sometimes we need the whole narrative. We can't just pick out a verse. Let's go back to sort of, let's read most of the chapter. So we're going John 11, verses 1 to 46. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, 
about two miles up, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me ne shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that. You are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odour, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he had did, believed in him. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. That deserves a round of applause. You can see why I didn't want to read it myself. <laughs> I think what we see in this story and passage is that God's love permits pain and suffering in our lives. That's a central component of the Christian gospel message, but it sits really uncomfortably with our contemporary sensibilities of what love is. Love is about protecting, it's about insulating, it's about securing, it's about removing people from harm, it's about minimizing risk. Surely love would not allow harm and suffering 
bad things should not happen to good people. That's the sort of mantra that we believe today. The gospel sort of reverses it and says, you know what, we're bad people and how on earth do we expect good things to happen to us? But this reversal of pain and tragedy, can it ever really have a proper function? And John tells a very different story with Lazarus. Lazarus is beloved of Jesus. He makes a very clear point. This is a beloved family. In John, I think in verse 5, he says, Jesus loved Lazarus, Martha and Mary. This is individual love for a special family. A family that had been around there from the start. As Jesus was calling his disciples, they opened their home in hospitality. They, Mary sat at Jesus' feet, worshipping, but also listening. I mean, this goes against all the cultural sensibilities of Judaism. A rabbi should not have a woman sitting at his feet, learning, being taught. Jesus threw out those type of sensibilities because they were totally against the gospel. This is no discrimination between men and women. Mary was there at his feet. This is a family that Jesus really loved. But Lazarus is ill, Lazarus is dying, and they sent a very clear message to Jesus. He whom you love is ill. It's quite explicit. We need your help. This is a desperate cry. You know, maybe this family were quite well off. It sort of suggested in, in some of the readings. They would have had doctors, medication. There's no way to help Lazarus. They needed Jesus to intervene. But what did Jesus do? He does not immediately intervene. He leaves the sisters in their pain and suffering alone. Lazarus dies. Jesus is not even there for the funeral. He's not there to comfort them. I think it's important to remember as believers we're not immune from suffering. Whether it's the consequences of our own actions, whether it's just the fallenness of our world, suffering comes to us all and it leaves us with questions. It makes us think, where is God in this? We question God's character. Does God really love us? And maybe we move from questioning God to questioning ourselves. Are we really believers? Do we really have faith? Is this problem, is this pain? Because we don't read the Bible, we don't pray enough, we don't trust God. I remember in my own life, a very traumatic event where a friend of mine was killed in, a, in, in an attack many years in the Middle East. And it was traumatic, it ruptured my whole world. But God was there in it, but something had happened you know i think my view of god was slightly diminished and i was reminded of it this morning in that song god is good the goodness of god i remember singing it in a conference and god really challenged me i do not believe in the goodness of god this is really easy to sing do i believe god is good all the time in my life i didn't i was just singing stuff i didn't believe which very often we do and God told me, no, stop singing. You don't sing about my goodness if you've a diminished view of who I am. Sometimes pain and suffering can bring us to that. And God needs to correct who our vision of Jesus is. Because God's love uh, permits pain, but also his timing is very often out of sync with our own expectations. We live in a really impatient world. And I, I'm totally guilty. Hands up. You know, I got a speeding ticket the other day. Of course, my kids laugh because I was somehow 
amused that I haven't got a speeding. I think most people in the church here have got speeding tickets driving into London. It's inevitable. But I'm very impatient. I mean, these days, you don't, you don't just order Amazon deliveries. You can sort of see where your Amazon driver is. And I ordered a pizza the other day, and you can stalk GPS. Where is that guy on the bike? Why is he paused on the lane? We're really impatient. My son, probably you know well, Theo, four-year-old, quite loud, is always hungry. He is impatient. I mean, he believes that Alexa and Google are always around, and he shouts demands in any room. Play par love ballads, which I blame my wife for. Play me Beyonce. He just shouts it because his expectation is God or Alexa and Google can just deliver the goods. I think Mary had perhaps a similar sort of temperament. She sent out this important message to Jesus. My brother is ill. Surely you can come. Surely you can intervene. Jesus had done it before. He had healed the centurion's servant. He didn't even... He didn't even leave that situation. God can heal from a distance. He didn't need to come. Jesus' response shows that his timing does not always align with our plans and expectations. In verse 5 and 6, I think 5 and 6, this is remarkable. Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard Lazarus was ill, he went immediately. No, that's not what it says. He stayed two days longer. He delayed Jesus' delay caused pain in Martha and Mary's life. He could have intervened. He delayed. He left them waiting. He left them hanging. And I think so often in our lives, there are prayers that we pray, and we're like, God, answer them. I need it now. We need it. God leaves you hanging. God leaves you in the delay. Dr. Mickey Anders, commenting on Martha and Mary, says, we hear their pain. We share it. Because too, in too many of our homes, Lazarus has died. For some, it's not the literal death of a loved one. It may be the death of a dream, the death of an ideal, the death of hope. Where has Lazarus died in your heart or your home? Where has Jesus disappointed you? When you've prayed, no answers have come. I admit when we wait upon God, it's difficult. There is a mystery in the silences and waiting before God, but we can be assured that God is at work in our character, is at work in us, perhaps more than our circumstances. I totally believe the Bible is about God is changing our character more often than our circumstances. We see the circumstances, we say, God, intervene, change this. And God says, no, in fact, I'm going to change your life in this difficult circumstance. We think of Moses and Joseph. Moses, who went through the wilderness, trained in the, in, in, under Pharaoh, trained in the best education in oratory and all types of skills. He's ready to lead his people. And, and God says, no, no, you need 40 years looking after sheep in the wilderness. I mean, who wants that? You need a, a, a really crappy job for like 10 years of your life. You're highly skilled, you've got whatever. And you're sitting in a space and you're like, I'm not being used. This is, what is God doing in my life? That's what happens. God is at work, but we don't often see it. But thankfully, this story is not just about God's absence and delay, about suffering, but it's also Jesus meeting us at our point of need. Because Jesus meets 
and weeps with us in pain and suffering. When Jesus goes, the disciples say, don't go to Judea. They're going to kill you. The last time you were there, you were almost killed. Jesus goes. I love Thomas gets a bad rap, doubting Thomas. But look, he's the one who says, look, I'm ready to die. You know, he's probably got an interesting disciple. I'm ready to go. He thought he was going to die in this situation. But Jesus waits till four days I mean, Lazarus has been in the tomb and it doesn't smell very well. I don't know, in summer, I can't even really keep cheese in our fridge very long. It stinks. A body in a tomb, four days, it's decomposing. There is a stink. There is no hope. In Jewish culture, interestingly, the mourners stayed around for three days. Because there's this idea that the soul had not fully disengaged with the body. That there could be some type of return. So for three days... There is mourning, but on the fourth day, it's gone. There is no hope. The body, you're dead. You're truly, truly dead. But Jesus enters at that point of desperation. And Jesus meets both sisters in very different ways. I love that God speaks into our suffering and pain in very different ways. We see Martha is keen. She's running to meet Jesus. And she says, Lord, if you'd been here my brother would not have died. I mean, this is pretty direct. Jesus, why did you not intervene? I'm left in pain and suffering. But in Martha's grief, there is also faith. We see an amazing, in in verse 22, she says, even though you could have intervened, even now, I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. I don't know if Martha really believed that Jesus was going to do that miracle, but she still affirmed his ability to do it. She still had faith. She was trusting in the difficulty. The even now prayers are sometimes the the most important prayers that we can ever pray. Even now, with the return of cancer, I will trust you, God. Even now, with the loss of a husband or wife, I will trust you. Even now, in financial struggles, I will trust you. God can break through in even now. Brennan Manning is one of my favorite authors and in Ruthless Trust he says to be grateful for an unanswered prayer to give thanks in a state of interior desolation to trust in the love of God in the face of marvels cruel circumstances obscenities and commonplaces of life is to whisper a doxology in the darkness this is what Martha does even now prayer is a doxology a praise in the darkness Sometimes that's what we can only, that's what we can do. We can just praise, cry in the darkness. It's like Habakkuk's prayer. You know, he's Habakkuk the prophet starts with, God, why are you not intervening? What is going on in this, in this place? But he ends with hope, even whenever he doesn't really see it. Though the fig tree will not blossom, basically like every fig tree in the UK, Our fruit will not be in the vines. The produce of olive oil will fail. The fields will yield no food. The flock will be cut off. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. This is is hope in the darkest times. And what does Jesus do? How does he respond to Martha? He affirms her and he encourages her with truth. He tells her her brother will rise from the dead. And in verse 25 and 26, he says i am the resurrection and life whoever believes in me though he die yet he will live do you believe this i mean this is incredible this woman is in grief and pain 
Jesus hits her with theology. Bang. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe it? Sometimes when we're struggling, I don't know about you, sometimes I just want to like flip through the Bible for an encouraging verse. Like pick and mix, like snacking on the Bible. Sometimes God just needs to bang you over the head with theology. You need to like read the prophets. Go deeper to really understand who I am. You need an encounter of truth, an encounter with the resurrected God. Now Mary's response is very different. This is how Martha responded. Mary didn't want to see Jesus. She's at home. She's disappointed and distant. Her grief has moved her away from God. Jesus still calls her, come to me. And she came to him in her pain and she wept. And she said the exact same words as her sister. Why did you not come? If you had have, if you had have come, everything would have been different. And what does Jesus do? So Jesus spoke to Martha words of theological truth. He challenged her faith. Jesus doesn't say, Mary, okay, I'm just going to pray for you now. Or this is a good book to read. Or let's turn to scriptures. It's recorded, Jesus wept. Jesus showed compassion for Mary. He wept. It's only three times in the Bible that Jesus weeps. He weeps over Jerusalem. He weeps in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he weeps with Mary, who's grieving her brother. Now, why did he weep? Do you ever think this? Jesus is actually going to raise Lazarus from the dead in a few minutes. Why weep? Why not just say, look, I know it's really, it's really sad. Just watch what I'm going to do. You know, maybe that would be the, the logical God doesn't work like that because Jesus feels our pain and suffering. He shows this is the humanity of Christ. It's not a stoic, Gnostic God that is indifferent, that is far removed. Jesus is the high priest, it says in Hebrews, who understands our weaknesses because he faced the same testings as us. Sometimes we might need an embrace or we need truth. But always we need to know that Jesus is standing in the midst of our suffering. And the Bible assures us Jesus sees our tears. He's touched by our tears. He remembers our tears and he dries our tears. There's an amazing verse in, in Psalm 56 and it says, You've, this is David speaking to God, You've kept count of my tossing and turning. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? The message renders it. Every tear is entered in your ledger, each ache written in your book. I imagine when we get to heaven one day, God says, look, I've caught every tear. For some of us, maybe it's a thimble. Here we go. It's like a sushi fish full of tears. There you go. Others, there'll be barrels. Okay, I've captured your tears. There's just barrels. It looks like, you know, a, a vineyard where there's, there's barrels because some of us have had to go through tough stuff but the message today is God knows our tears he is aware of them he has captured each one is registered Jürgen Moltmann said God weeps with us so that one day we will laugh with him our tears will be turned into into joy and that's the amazing thing God Jesus weeps out of compassion but as he comes to the tomb again there's another there's a there's a different sort of indignation a different type of weeping in the Greek, it's actually a word, it's called embrim, embrim 
asthia, well, my, my Greek pronunciation is rather uh, weak, but it's this idea of a horse snorting or braying up, a, a righteous indignation of what death has caused. That Jesus is moved, not just out of compassion, but death is not what, should, what it should be. Our world was fallen, and he entered our world to bring us into life. So he's moved at that tomb, and he then says, roll the stone away, and he calls Lazarus out. In this dramatic resurrection scene, we realize that our suffering provides an opportunity for the manifestation of God's glory. This story has always been about God's glory. In verse 3, he says, this sickness is not unto death, because it is the glory of God, the Son of Man may be glorified. Verse 40, did I not tell you, if you believed, you would see the glory of God. God's glory is revealed in resurrection power. Lazarus is physically resurrected from the dead. Jesus calls out, I love the fact he calls out, Lazarus, come out. You know, some commentators said if he had just shouted, come out, there would have been multiple bodies that would have rose up. But Lazarus comes out, his grave clothes are still on. Like this is a prelude to Jesus' resurrection, but it's different. Lazarus is not resurrected to a new body. I mean, I don't know how decayed. I'm sure his body was better than it was when he, did, when he died. This is not a new resurrected body. Lazarus dies again. He, he's the man who died twice and will be resurrected on the final day. When Jesus is resurrected, the linen is set aside. He no longer needs it. Lazarus is still incumbent by the, the bands of, of death. And they say, unbind him, unbind him. But part of this purpose was in Lazarus' resurrection, we see spiritual renewal. The Jews that had gathered round, it says many of them believed. This was the purpose. In the suffering, in the pain, there was also a movement of God. There was belief. Jews believed. This was the church being added. So it wasn't just a physical resurrection. It was a spiritual resurrection. That part of suffering can also be God's redemptive purposes. That God can take our pain and suffering and use it for good. When we think back to Joseph and Joseph's troubles, you know, right from the pit into the prison and finally to Pharaoh's court and he stands before his brothers that had betrayed him, that had trafficked him, that had, you know, that had hated him. And he says, even though you intended to harm me, God intended it for good in order to preserve many people. God takes broken things and mends it. Recently I've been intrigued by this Japanese art, again I'll, I'll pronounce it uh, incorrectly, I think it's called Kintsugi. And it's this idea of broken things, it's become quite trendy. Broken things, you can put them back together using gold, uh, like gold thread. So you have this broken pot, and it's the idea that there is beauty in brokenness. This is quite powerful. But you know what? There isn't beauty in imperfection. The beauty is the imperfection allows the gold to shine. Or the beauty comes from when God's grace and mercy is at work in our broken lives. There's nothing beautiful about that brokenness. It is an opportunity for the gold to inlay each one of those broken parts. And that's what suffering, that's what pain allows. God to inlay your life with this beautiful gold tapestry to shine through, to show that he 
is at work. And we see this transformation in Mary. Mary is weeping at Jesus' feet, surrounded by the smell of death. In the next chapter, and I think this is the culmination really of Lazarus' story, the banquet for Lazarus, Mary is worshipping at Jesus' feet. The same ointment that she pours out on Jesus' feet is called spikenard, or it's a really, it's a really expensive uh, ointment that came from India and the Himalayas, and she uses it. Probably she would have used it on her on her brother's body, and she poured it out, similarly at Jesus' feet. This act of extravagant worship, she would have been kicked out of any type of church. To, you know, to be weeping and anointing Jesus' feet. This was sacrifice. This was an incredible, an incredible act. But this is where we see the shift from Mary broken to her worshipping at Jesus' feet. Because in suffering, we see resurrection, we see redemption, but also perseverance. Paul instructs the Corinthians, do not lose heart, even though your outer self is wasting away. Your inner self is being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary affliction is producing an eternal weight of glory that is far beyond comprehension. In pain and suffering that is very much physical, God is doing something that is eternal. God is producing something that we can't see. It's very hard to see the unseen. To see the again, that's what Paul says. Fix your eyes on what is unseen. It's very difficult because it, we want to fix our eyes on what we see, on the physical. How do we, we can't see what God's doing, but we do believe God is at work, that God is present, that God is with us in every trial. So how do we take that suffering, that challenge, that, that, that pain? What do we learn from this story? I think what we learn is honesty and perseverance in prayer. Mary and Martha were very real and honest with God. You know, sometimes we could just turn away from God. We don't want, you know, he's hurt us, he's allowed suffering. We walk away. In Mary and Martha, we see a calling, a pursuit of God, an honesty. We need to be real. God can handle our critique. God can handle our anguish. Like, just read Job. Job is just a, a story of suffering, but him continually shouting after God. And he's blessed and rewarded at the end. God doesn't condemn him for, for his complaints. He moves him to look and understand that God is at work. Job actually never understands what, what God's doing in his life. But he comes to accept that God is in control of the universe. And sometimes you mightn't actually ever get to know why God has allowed this to happen in your life. Why something has changed your life in a way but we have to accept and know that God is in control and blessings will come and perhaps one day we will understand that, that, that God is really being at work. To trust in God's timing and to know that Jesus is there in our suffering and pain. That we don't have a high priest that is, that is distant but someone who is there after my final trip to the concentration camp in Dachau, I went back and I reread um, a famous author who, who survived that camp, a Holocaust survivor, Ilya Weisel's Night. And he, it's a very powerful book. 
he talks about his journey to, to losing faith in God. And there's this scene, but it's, it's a struggle for him. There's this really incredible passage where they hung, you know, the Nazi guards hung three people and one of them was a child and then the child was hanging um, in front of Elie Weisel and, and he says, behind me I heard a man's voice and he asked, where is God now? But I heard a voice within me answer him, here he is hanging here on the gallows. There's this turmoil that even in the worst, when we see the worst of what man can do and we doubt God's existence, God is hanging on the gallows. This is what Lazarus is about. God is hanging on the cross with taking our sin. We have a God that is not removed or far from us, but a God who has suffered, a God who is incarnational, who has entered our world. He not just only died, we have a God who is the resurrection and the life. We serve a resurrected saviour and he will bring us into glorious hope. So no matter what you're struggling with today, whatever the pain or suffering, or perhaps it's to come, trust that there is hope, that Jesus is there, that he will take us, he will take us through, that hope can never be extinguished.